0: Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. Stand for the reading of scripture today. We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Gospel of John, chapter 13, the words will be on the screen for you as well. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, during supper, when the devil had already put it in the head of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, in the heart, rather, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands And Jesus answered him, What I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, verse 16, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Arnaldo. Um, and we have two services left here at MOBC, uh, two today and and next week. Um, it has been a wild ride, and we are in this series uh, for the sake of the world to help us retool and regear for the next season ahead, for the several next seasons ahead. Uh, this everything that we've gone through uh, from uh, the gospel is something that uh, really motivates me, motivates the way that I think about us and and who I want us to be, uh, and a. Uh, About a month ago now we started with the gospel and the gospel simply is is this the gospel is the true story of what God has done in Christ To renew the world and to save us And then we looked at the church. The church is now the place The church is the embodied space made up of real people of where God gets to show off what he Can do with a, a set of regular broken people like us and then the following week We looked at love how love must be the measure of the success of our church that numbers, budgets, buildings will not be the success of our church. That is not how we are going to benchmark whether or not we are being faithful to what God is calling us to do. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves. We have been working hard to get a building together over the past month or so, but that will not be the measure of our success. February 5th, when we get to weep and cry and enjoy that beautiful building that we, we have been working so hard, that will not be the benchmark of our success, even as we have poured ourselves into it. The benchmark of our success must be the way that we treat one another, the way that we think about one another, the way that we speak about one another, not just to one another, right? You see the difference, right? You can speak to someone a certain way, but you can speak about them a whole nother way. And so embodied love must be the measure of our success. And then we looked at the way that prayer, lifting heart and mind to God is the very air that we breathe. And prayer, rather than being a topic that induces guilt for us or shame because we don't do it well enough or not, we don't do it often enough, is simply an invitation to enjoy the Father. And then we looked at emotional health last week, the way uh, oftentimes uh, we separate our emotional health from our spiritual health. And I taught last week that we cannot grow up spiritually while remaining emotionally immature. We cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And today, uh, we're going to be looking at service. Next week, culture, uh, our, our culture, not, not so much uh, how to engage with culture, uh, but who we're going to be. Uh, and then we're going to be looking at mission on the 29th. The mission will be our first service at uh, Panania. And then uh, on Feb 5th, uh, find home. Uh, That's going to be a sermon on Luke 15, and it's going to be uh, a time where I'm praying that fresh faith is birthed right in that room, uh, that we would all be midwives of the new birth. Uh, God is the one who brings new birth, right? He's the one who does the work. The Spirit is the one who moves, but somehow we get to be in the room, and we get to help deliver new faith in people, and that's my hope, uh, especially for that day as we celebrate so many things. We're celebrating the new building, we're celebrating our second birthday on that day. um, And that's gonna be uh, when? Feb 5th, Uh, Feb 5th. And so um, you have to pardon me as well. My phone is on, my watch is on loud uh, because Catherine has been getting some contractions. Um, So if you don't know, Catherine, my wife, we're um, expecting uh, our our fourth. Um, And (laughs) it's been a long, (laughs) listen, it's been a long week. It's been a long week. but yeah, so if I run out, I'm going to say amen in Jesus' name, I'll do, you know, and then I'm out. Uh, but uh, I'm not expecting that, but just in case. Uh, before we jump in to what is probably close to my favorite text in scripture, help me to pray, uh, and then we'll, we'll get right into it. Father, oh boy, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for enough health and enough energy to be here, Lord. Uh, we pray for those who may be away, uh, Lord, due to uh, illness or, or, or sickness, Lord, and, and we pray that you would be, be near to them. Um, And I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would be near to us, Uh, that as we walked in here, uh, if we need encouragement, Holy Spirit, encourage us. Uh, Where we need humbling, Lord, humble us. Uh, Where we need uh, to be reminded of the gospel and assured of the Father's love for us, uh, Holy Spirit, do that now. Uh, If those uh, people who may be far from you, Lord, uh, may you bring them near uh, by your Spirit today. I pray that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people, and help me to remember the things that will be. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said? And the church said? When you think about what it means to be blessed, to live the blessed life, I wonder what comes to mind. Now, if you go onto Instagram, there are hundred, I tried to memorize this number, 145 million, I'm cheating, 87,409 posts that are hashtag blessed on Instagram. And that was like a week ago, so I'm sure that's, that number has gone up. But there was a common theme that surfaced as I sort of gone through you know, some of them. I didn't go through all 145 million, uh, but there was a common theme that came across uh, and, and to be blessed, uh, at least in the cultural landscape, is to have something, right? It's, it's, to, it's to have something, whether it's abs or a partner or a new car, an exotic experience, feet in the sand, a fully stamped passport, a family, kids, when if you finally buy that home and you take a, a photo awkwardly next to that sold sign, whatever it is, to be blessed, at least culturally, is, is to have something, Our cultural definition of blessedness, by and large, is determined by our possessions. And so if we think about the happy life, the blessed life, we think about consumption, something that I have what I get, what I have, whether that's experiences, things, or people. Uh, but our text this afternoon is gonna recalibrate that definition for us. And, and what I'm realizing more than ever is that we need to do some groundwork in our hearts and in our minds. That if we're going to follow Jesus in the world that we live in, the world where we're constantly pressured to think a certain way or believe a certain thing, that we, we need to recalibrate our whole lives. And so when we think about being blessed, what does that actually mean to you? Like what, what definitions, what what content is filled with that word, with that definition? I want to say this, that the blessed life, and our text will point to this, that the blessed life is a life marked not by having, but by giving. The blessed life is marked not by having, but by giving. And particularly in this context, it's giving of our time and our energy in God's name for the sake of the world. In other words, to be blessed is not to accumulate things, but to actually give away our most precious things, our time and our energy for the sake of the world. And if, and this is a big if, but I assume that if you call Anchor Southwest home, that that we're in on this together, that we're conspiring against darkness together and if we're going to be the kind of church that embodies the good news of the new king jesus if we're going to be the kind of church that is a preview to the world of the world to come if we're going to be the kind of church that your friends and your family and your enemies and sometimes they're all mixed up in one right if they can find home here if we're going to be the kind of church that does this, that embodies this, then we must have our imaginations and the vision of the good life shaped by the kingdom of giving rather than getting. I want us to shape our meditation of this text today around three simple words. If we're going to become this kind of community, I want these three words to anchor who we are going to be and how we're going to serve. Knowing, letting, and doing. Knowing, letting, and doing. Now, up until this point, John 1 to 12 covers the first three years of Jesus's public ministry. And the last few chapters from from, 12 on, from 13 onwards is going to cover just his last days. And our text is part of this larger section. We actually went through it in the Upper Room series a couple months ago. And he's preparing his friends, he's preparing his disciples to carry out his life and his love when he's gone. That, that's the whole point of the, whole, the rest of the book of John is that he wants to prepare, he wants to uh, tool up his friends so that when he leaves, they're prepared to carry his life and his light into all the world. And one of the most important things that he's going to teach them in this text is how to embody this upside-down kingdom where in the middle of the world that we live in, right now, like when we think about our world, right in the middle of a world that values domination over service, a world that values greed over generosity, a world that values power over weakness, a world that values coercion rather than love. How are they and how are we going to be Christ followers in this world? And the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we motivated this is, you know, when I ask questions up here, guys, like I know sometimes there's a, if you've been in church for long enough, there, there, there's a sense where when the preacher comes up, you kind of, you kind of just shut off, right? Uh, but, but I want you to be awake, and I want you to ask yourself the question, what motivates me? Is it the ways of the kingdom or the ways of the world? Come back with me to the text. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus, listen, knew That his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, meaning he loved them perfectly. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the head of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, what, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand... In, into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. This, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting to not just scream this whole sermon because This is is, is a text that we're used to, right? We've seen it in paintings, and we we see Jesus washing uh, uh, Peter's feet. It's a a normal story for us if you've been walking with Jesus for, for any length of time. But this is scandalous. This is absolutely explosive that Jesus would do this. This is, it's difficult for us to grasp the countercultural posture that Jesus takes here. We have 2,000 years of trying to massage this into our culture and into our minds. But if you were there, I mean, they didn't have Philippians 2 to read. The Gospels, right, like this is happening before Philippians 2 was written. Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus is is humble. They, They didn't have that to go off of. The disciples didn't have that meditation to, uh, to shape their theology of who they'd been following. They were stunned. They were offended. They were scandalized. They were flabbergasted. Why? Simply put, what Jesus was about to do was reserved for the lowest of the lowest of servants. Like, you couldn't imagine anyone, a rabbi, Washing someone else's feet. Feet washing was a very normal everyday ritual in the same way that bathing is for us or for most of us, I'm not, I'm not sure. But it, it, it wasn't something that any respectable person would do, let alone a rabbi to his pupils. Nike wasn't invented yet. All they had was Birkenstocks. And when you were walking through the streets, you, when you go to someone's house, right, your, your feet will be uh, covered in mud and feces. And so the first thing that you would do if you were a good host is you would offer to wash the person's feet, your guest's feet, but you wouldn't do it. Your servant would do it. Oftentimes it was the lowest female servant who would do it. And so my question is this. If no respectable rabbi, you you can't even understand how this wouldn't even have gotten into anyone's mind to do. This wasn't something that anyone would have thought to do. This was something revolutionary. If no respectable rabbi would do this, if this was a task left to the lowest of the lowest slaves, how did Jesus muster up the nerve, the imagination to perform such a task? Why and how would Jesus stoop so low? Jesus knew. He knew what he had. He knew where he had come from. And he knew where he was going. That's to say this, that Jesus was able to take on the absolutely lowest form of service because he operated out of the knowledge of who he was. He knew who he was. He knew what his identity was and he knew what his relationship to his father was. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the father had given all things into his hands. So he doesn't feel the need to hoard power or hoard prestige or hoard a name. Why? Because he knew that everything was his. What would we do? How would we give? How would we serve if we knew that we had everything? How free would we be to give if we knew that all spiritual blessings are ours? Jesus knew that before the foundation of the world was laid, he lived in perfect love and unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that he was known, that he was seen, that he was loved, that he was celebrated. And because Jesus operated out of this knowing, he was able to serve. He was so secure in his identity as the beloved of God that he was free to release power. He was free to release privilege. He was free to release preference. Jesus new. And knowing who we are is the key to our serving in and through. Let me just remind you real quick of who you are. John 1 12 reminds us that we've been given the right to be called children of God. You are adopted as God's own child. John fifteen fifteen teaches us that Jesus calls us friends, not just servants. Romans 3.24 tells us that we've been justified and the war that was between us and God and us toward God has been rectified and removed by the cross. Romans 15.7, it reminds you that you are accepted in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us that in Christ we have all the wisdom of the world. Ephesians 1.3 teaches us that you don't only have partial blessings, but you have all blessings. Every spiritual blessing. Romans 8, 17 reminds us that we are heirs with Christ. That we own the world. Y'all, like you're still awake. I'm not, I, I, why aren't you fainting? We are, we, there, is, there is a will in the heavenly places somewhere. I'm not sure where it's stored. But there is a will for the entire universe with your name on it. That we own the universe. One Peter three eighteen tells us that Jesus has brought us to God Himself. Listen, God has withheld no good thing from you. We come from love. We will go to love. Knowing this, knowing who we are, knowing what we have, knowing whose we are, what do we have to fear or to lose in serving others? If this is true, if this is true, I'm not assuming that you all believe this is true. If this is true, how could I be stingy with my service, with my money, with my energy? How could we not serve. If this is true, why wouldn't we want to follow in the footsteps of the king? I love what Severian of Gabala said. Uh, I wish we still use names like that, like Arnaldo from East New York, like if that was my official name. Uh, but but um, he, he said this, he who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped himself, wrapped around himself a towel. P- picture that. This is the Isaiah 40 picture, right? Like this cosmic Gigantic, God would come down. The, the one who, who, who wraps the heavens in clouds, wrapped around himself a towel. He who pours the water into the rivers and pools tipped water into a basin. And he, before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth, knelt to wash the disciples' feet. That's massive. Why wouldn't we then give of our time and our talent our, and our treasure? If Jesus traversed the entire universe to take on the lowliest job for the good of those around him, you can do the dishes, right? Like that's, okay. you can pick up a vacuum, you, you can serve on kids. You can welcome people. You can clean toilets. You can serve wherever there is a gap, regardless of whether it sparks joy in you or not. Why? Because we don't look for the thing that gives us joy necessarily, but whatever there is to do, we find the joy in it. We find joy in whatever we are doing. Think about the thing that you think feels beneath you. Like ah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that one. I, I won't. I won't. I won't serve this person in that way, or I'm not gonna join that team in in this way. Think about that one thing that feels just a bit beneath you. That is what God is calling you to, to have Christ formed in you. Jesus knew what he had, the unconditional love of the Father, and what do you have? Jesus knew where he'd come from, and are we not now born from above? Jesus knew where he was going, and where are we headed in Christ? The very same knowledge that fueled Jesus' ability to serve is the very same knowledge that you and I have. But we need more than knowing something. We need letting. How, how, do, how do we acquire a, a, a new language? Like, like, like how, how, is, how is Florence or, or our baby or a, a, any babies? Or, how do you acquire language? You acquire language by people speaking to you. That's how it happens. And then you mimic that language. And eventually, this baby will mimic sounds and syllables, eventually words. And she'll be able to string sentences together to communicate. Similarly, we don't just naturally serve. The key to our serving is actually letting Jesus serve us first. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But he's completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said not all of you are clean. The key, the key verse here is verse 8. Follow with me. Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Peter's imagination did not compute, could not compute. He was still beholden to the ways of Rome in many, uh, uh, similarly the way that we are still beholden unknowingly oftentimes to the ways of our own culture. He's still beholden to the ways of power and domination. He's still beholden to the place where the weak serve the strong. You see, we want to believe, and Peter wanted to believe, that his leader was strong. Because when your leader is strong and you associate with that leader, what does that make you? Why do you think that so? there's been so many scandals? God is doing something in the church. Why do you think people allow abusive leadership to go on? Because they get to identify with this person. Somehow, they're a charismatic speaker or they, 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 they give them some sort of clout in the city or whatever it is. Because when we associate with power, we feel we are powerful. When we associate with charisma, we think we're charismatic. Peter couldn't handle a weak savior and so he rebukes Jesus. God gets rebuked again. If I do not wash you... Jesus responds to Peter's rebuke, you have no share with me. And this is the key. For our serving to be effective, to be sustainable for the years to come, to not lead us into burnout, for our serving to be that, it must be shaped and motivated by the gospel. We must first allow Jesus to serve us. We must let ourselves be served. If we want to participate in what God is doing to renew the world, as we begin with our small corner of Panania, the first step is not activism, it's rest. And this is God's pattern from the beginning. Let me remind you, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and then there's three days of making and three days of filling. And when is Adam and Eve created? On day six. And what's day seven? Sabbath. Their first day, their first full day, as people who were created in the image of God, was not to work, but to rest. And our work should come from our rest. And there's no rest that we need more than the rest our souls receive when we hear the words, You are my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. There is no deeper rest. You know, a lot of us are exhausted and anxious. Maybe you are physically working too much. But my sense, though, is is that oftentimes our restlessness and our exhaustion comes from us trying to prove ourselves, trying to build an identity for ourselves because we don't believe that word. And so we try to, to, we overwork or we extend ourselves. Why? Well, because I'm not enough and I need to make something of myself. But what if you believed that God sees you as you are right now, and you're not complete, but he loves you, and he sees you, and he knows you, and that we get to rest in the good news that Jesus is for us, that he is the new king, the good news that we are accepted before we do anything, and it's out of out of that acceptance that we get to work. If I do not wash you, you have no Share with me. To share in the ministry and the life of Jesus, we must first let Jesus serve us. We must first let Jesus wash us. And so, knowing who we are, what we have, whose we are, allows us to serve outside of our comfort zones. But letting Jesus serve us allows us to serve out of our acceptance in the gospel. But it's in the doing, not in just the thinking of these things, where uh, where the difference is made. Back to verse 12, when, we had, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also are to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, should, uh, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I tell you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, knowing, letting and doing. Jesus is leaving them an example and he's showing them and us that his status as king and as Lord does not uh, uh, preclude him from serving. And in fact, it, it intensifies that example. If the greatest human being who has ever lived can serve by doing the most menial of tasks, the dirtiest of tasks, it does at least two things for us. First, it infuses All of our menial tasks with cosmic significance if jesus can do that then everything we do all the menial tasks that we need to do is filled are filled with cosmic significance we love the spectacular and we love the spectacular and we find it easy to worship a God who is spectacular because maybe then we will become spectacular. But Kathleen Norris, she writes this in her wonderful little book. She says, we want life to have meaning. We want fulfillment. I mean, that is just like, even to bring this up, like, of course, this this is all our assumption, right? And when our assumptions are challenged, that is when we begin to get underneath our belief systems. Why do we believe? all this. We want life to have meaning. We want fulfillment, healing, and even ecstasy. But the human paradox is that we find these things by starting where we are, not where we wish we were. And where exactly are we? We're living in the light of a global pandemic and the dishes still need to get done, right? Like we are at war, with principalities and powers in the heavenly places. But the trash still needs to be taken out. We want to join God in the renewal of all things. I love saying that. And you love hearing it. But I still need to go to the dentist to get these two feelings done. right? Like we still have to do the normal menial things of life. I want to write sermons that change lives, but I still need to go to the backyard and pick up Brooklyn's poop. Or send Anthony to. <laughs> you may be facing an overflowing, never-ending laundry basket, but God is there. You change nappies all day or it feels like that's all you do, but God is there. He's there in your sleep deprivation. You pack toys away only to find them out again and again, and God is there. You serve little kids downstairs, and God is there. I am far more scared to teach a children's lesson, because y'all can all fake it for me. Y'all gonna be like, you can, you know, pretend to be here, you know, whatever, you know. But those kids, they'll tell you the truth, right? They'll tell you when you're not being interesting. But God is there. That's not holy babysitting. That's discipleship that's happening downstairs. You show up early to clean the toilets. God is there. God will refuse to meet you in your imagination, in the place where you want to be, in the place where you think you should be. God is only going to ever meet you in the menial spaces of your life. Tish Harrison Warren, she says this, she says, the crucible of our formation, where we are formed in Christ, are not necessarily these high moments, but in the monotony of our daily routines. And if God is anywhere, he's right smack in the middle of your daily boring routines, and that is good news. We don't need to pretend like everything is exciting. 90% of your life is boring. Yes? No? It's just me? But God is there, and that is where God is forming you, and if that's true, if Jesus can do the lowest thing, that means that those low things that we need to do, those menial tasks, are infused with cosmic... If the greatest human who's ever lived can serve by doing the most menial of tasks, the first thing that is true is that it infuses our menial tasks with cosmic significance. The second thing that it does is it humbles us and it reminds us that we are called to do what's right in front of us. Jesus saw what was right in front of him, he saw dirty feet, he saw what was in front of him, and he did the job. He put a towel around his waist and he got to work. Feet needed cleaning. So Jesus got on to cleaning feet. That's what needed to happen. Jesus, the only person who would legitimately be above this task, legitimately be above this task is the one person who did it. He's flipping all these social norms of the first century and our own. And this is meant to humble us. No apprentice, none of us are above Jesus. And yet we act like it. This means that when we need something that needs doing, we don't see that task as being below us or we don't leave it undone because it's not in our gift mix. To put it bluntly, Jesus is simply asking us to get over ourselves. He's calling us to think rightly of ourselves in relation to who he is and if he was able to get down on his hands and his knees, if I didn't have a bad knee, I'd, I'd, I'd do a bit of kinesthetic teaching for you and get down, but I, I don't think I'd be able to get up. But he He gets down on his knees to clean feces and mud and dirt off the feet of even the man who he knew was about to betray him. That's wild. So we, we can serve one another. We, we can serve our local community. But note this, that it's in the doing. It's in enacting the truth. So often we've grown up with Christianities where the truth sits all in our heads. But truth is in our bones. Truth must be in our hands. Truth must be in what we do, not just what we say or what we think. And it's in the doing that we are blessed. Remember, blessed, the blessed life is a life marked not by having, but by giving. That is a verb, by the way. It's a verb. Verb are doing words. We do something with the truth. But I want to remind you that you are not accepted based on your performance. You're not doing this to get love. You're doing this out of love. You are not accepted because you may have a great theology of serving. You're not accepted if you serve across multiple teams here at Anchor Southwest. You're not accepted because you do something. You do something because you're accepted. You're accepted based purely on what Jesus has accomplished for you. And it's hidden in plain sight in this text. You see, this, this act in the upper room was not just an example. He, he says, I'm leaving you an example, but it's not just an example. This was a sacrament. This was a picture. This was a sign of a deeper reality of what Jesus was about to do when he faced the curse and the wrath of God through the Roman cross, that through the blood of Jesus, as he gave of himself, as he gave up his life, as the book of Acts, write, Luke writes, that the author of life was killed. As that happens. It's not only our feet that are clean, but our souls and our consciences, our minds, our bodies clean. And if there's one word that I want you to walk out of here with, it's not necessarily, oh man, I need to serve more, is I'm clean now. in Christ. I've been served by Jesus. And let that motivate you. Clean, And what you need to walk out of here again is a reminder that today, because what Christ has done, we can now participate in what God is doing. God's very life and God's very nature is to serve. God lives, it sounds weird to say, right, that God lives the blessed life. God is blessed all through the Psalms. Psalmists are called, he calls the congregation, calls the the church to bless God. I'm like, bless God? God needs to bless me? No, no, bless God's name. God lives a blessed life, not because he hoards, but because he gives. It is in his nature to serve. Because God gave of his time, of his treasure, of his talent. What does the scripture say? If God did not withhold his beloved son, what will he withhold from you? And we live with this, with, with this scarcity mentality that we need to hold on to what we have because we may run out. There is a treasure. There is a storehouse of treasure with your name on it. We're not free. You're free. You're actually free. I'm here to tell you that you are free to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And you are free to begin to understand that our greatness is Is going to be found in a towel and not in a title, and so you know who you are in Christ. I pray that we let our serving flow out of being served by Jesus, and we do. We put into practice what we have learned, and it's in the doing that we will find the blessed life, because the blessed life is a is a life that's marked not by having. Everything in the world will tell you that the blessed life, that the happy life, is about having. Everything will tell you that. Everything. You're going to walk out of here today and you're going to get all these ads on Facebook and on Instagram. Listen, like, it's scary, right? Like, I've been looking for an air conditioner. Now, all the ads are about air conditioners. Like, they're listening, y'all, right? And you will be bombarded this week with a lie that will tell you if you want to be happy, consume. But the scriptures say, "The blessed life is a life marked not by having, but by giving. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you have set for us an example. An example of a life, Lord, uh, that was able to give of itself because you already knew you had everything. You had the Father's approval. You had the Father's love. The world is yours. Why be stingy? And Holy Spirit, I pray that even now, as you impress these truths upon your people in this room, Lord, that we would not serve out of guilt, that we would not serve Simply out of obligation, but that we would serve out of a firm joy and knowledge that there is nothing that we give that there isn't a millionfold behind. We will not run out. And so, Holy Spirit, do something here where we can get beyond ourselves. Where we can extend ourselves, knowing that we have been served by the greatest servant. Jesus, we cannot accept you as Savior if we do not also accept you as servant. And so help us to receive you as servant so that we can now serve, Lord. Serve this church. Serve one another. Serve our communities our friends, our families, our extended networks, that we would see our lives, Lord, as conduits of God's saving and beautiful grace in this world, that we would see our lives as, as the, 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 the holes in the universe where glory shines through, that we would see our lives, our, our, our regular jars of clay that are holding the gospel, that we would see our lives as ways, as previews for what you are doing and what you will ultimately do. Jesus, we love you. We can't wait to see you. And until that day comes, I pray that you would make us into everything we need to be for the sake of the world. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.